welcome back to my podcast. In the last episode, Julie Rossicki and I discussed the partnership that International Social Service USA has with an organization in Guatemala called Escuela de la Calle. This partnership works to provide services to families who had previously been separated by U.S. authorities at the United States and Mexico border. It's focused on meeting the immediate expressed needs of these individuals, such as medical attention, food, and shelter, while simultaneously attending to their mental health because forced separation can cause a multitude of health concerns, including, but not limited to, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depression. In this episode, we will be diving deeper into this population, the relevant legislation, and the timeline of events between 2017 and today. The Southern Poverty Law Center compiled a really thorough timeline of this issue of family separation under the Trump administration, and that's what I will be referencing here. On March 3rd of 2017, the Trump administration began considering a proposal to separate children from their mothers at the border as a deterrent for future migrants. In late November of that year, the Houston Chronicle reports that the Trump administration had begun separating children from their families without due process as early as June. The year 2018 was when whistleblowers were finally able to draw the media's attention to the extreme atrocities that were occurring at the border. On June 9th, 2018, the Washington Post reports that a man from Honduras who had suffered a nervous breakdown after being separated from his wife and child at the border died by suicide in a Texas jail in May. The government had no comment on the man's death. On June 14th, CNN reports that a Honduran woman was breastfeeding her daughter in a detention center when federal authorities snatched the child away from her. On June 15th, the DHS finally acknowledged that it had separated nearly 2,000 children from their parents or legal guardians between April 19th and May 31st. On June 17th of 2018, Journalists and human rights advocates toured an old warehouse in McAllen, Texas, where hundreds of children were being kept in a series of cages made of metal fencing. The Associate Press reports that overhead lighting stays on around the clock, children are sleeping under large foil sheets, and older children are forced to attend to the needs of the younger children. Meanwhile, these kids have no access to any kind of toys or books. The same day, the Secretary of Homeland Security tweeted out, We do not have a policy of separating families at the border, period. On June 20th of 2018, President Trump finally signed an executive order directing DHS to stop separating families except in cases where there is concern that the parent represents a risk to the child. By this time, 2,342 children were separated at the border from more than 2,200 adults between May 5th and June 9th. After months of misinformation and missed deadlines of reuniting children with their families, 
Amnesty International publishes a report that cites U.S. Customs and Border Control data, indicating that 6,022 family units had been separated between April of 2018 and August of 2018, which was a much greater number than previously stated. On November 17th of 2018, a publication called ProPublica reports that families were still being separated at the border, but the Border Patrol agents used vague or unproven allegations of things like suspected gang activity to be able to justify separating parents from their children. Once again, in December 20th of 2018, the Secretary of Homeland Security appeared before the House Judiciary Committee and again falsely stated the claim that the administration had no family separation policy. Fast forward a few months to March 9th of 2019, the Trump administration reported to a federal court that it had separated an additional 245 children from their parents and other relatives since President Trump had rescinded the family separation policy. That was nine months past when the policy was rescinded. These government officials justified the actions by citing that these adults posed a significant safety risk to the child. On May 8th of 2019, the Trump administration was only willing to acknowledge that it had separated 389 families since June of 2018. But on May 18th of 2019, the Trump administration acknowledges that it may have separated at least 1,712 additional children before the zero tolerance policy ever even went into effect in May of 2018. In June of 2019, there were continued horrific reports, such as children who were being transported from one detention center to another that was only 30 minutes apart, but these children were left in the hot sun in a van for as long as 39 hours. Another was when the Associated Press reports that roughly 250 infants, children, and teens had been locked up for 27 days without adequate food, water, or sanitation. On August 21st of 2019, DHS and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services announced a new rule ending the Flores Settlement. Basically, the Flores Settlement, put in place for almost two decades, limited the length of time that migrant children could be detained by U.S. Customs and Border Protection to 20 days. With the Trump administration's new rule, they would be allowed to indefinitely detain migrant families who crossed the border without authorization. In 2020, when the COVID-19 global pandemic began, human rights initiatives towards reunifying these families were heavily impacted. Despite this, however, Organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center and the ACLU still were able to file for lawsuits against the Trump administration for these acts of human cruelty and the trauma that was inflicted on countless families. While I know that the timeline I just shared with you was incredibly grim, there is indeed positive strides being made. In February of 2021, President Biden signed three executive orders to reform U.S. immigration policy 
and he created a task force in order to help reunite children who were separated from their families by American authorities. According to ABC News, the task force, which will be vice-chaired by the Secretaries of State and Health and Human Services, would manage family reunifications on a case-by-case basis, making different immigration benefit determinations based on different families. One of the orders recently signed by President Biden is aimed at addressing the root causes of migration from Central America, and it gives the Secretary of Homeland Security the responsibility of reviewing the Trump administration's Migrant Protections Protocol. That program would send asylum seekers to Mexico while their asylum appeals in the United States were pending. Additionally, another executive order is aimed at reviewing the Trump administration's public charge rule that works towards limiting the number of impoverished migrants who were able to come to the United States. The rule prevented individuals who are receiving public assistance, such as housing and food stamp programs, from being eligible for green cards. President Biden has pledged to reverse these restrictive immigration policies set forth by his predecessor. To reference the ecological systems theory, this whole border crisis is an example of how a macro system of overarching societal beliefs, such as the fear that immigrants who come to the United States are just stealing jobs and exploiting public services, can result in catastrophically cruel legislation like the zero tolerance policy, or how a child who immigrates to the United States might feel like he has no chance for upward mobility due to his status in American society. While there is still quite a bit of uncertainty surrounding this border crisis, there has been evidence-based research that addresses trauma caused by forced family separation. To quote a scholarly article written by Miriam Pataki, resettlement policies need to be culturally sensitive and agencies must set up service delivery schemes that are proactively flexible to allow for unique approaches to working with the diverse cultures while simultaneously enhancing the use of clients' natural helping systems. At the end of the quote there, she mentioned when she mentions enhancing the use of clients' natural helping systems, she's mentioning a strengths-based approach, which is a widely popular and effective practice in the realm of human services, suggesting that you should lead with the assumption that clients already have the tools to help themselves and you are just playing upon those strengths. Thank you for taking the time to listen and learn more about those who are forcibly separated from their loved ones at the border and the relevant policy and practices that impacted this population. Be sure to tune in to the next episode, which will be a personal reflection on my role at International Social Service USA. Thanks for listening.